The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, we return to Brunswick, Georgia, for a hearing in the upcoming trial of the three men accused of murdering jogger Ahmad Arbery. And like everything associated with the story, it was contentious. Court TV's Matt Johnson was tracking the proceedings and will join me to discuss all that we learned. This is the Court TV Podcast with Vinnie Politan. Welcome to the Court TV Podcast. I'm Vinnie Politan. Thank you so much for listening and thank you for downloading. And don't forget you can share it with your other true crime uh, friends that are out there. Let them know what we're doing day in and day out. Uh, Today, I want to talk about one of the big, big cases that we have been covering and following and tracking since the beginning. And now it's getting much closer to going to trial. It will happen this fall. I'm talking about the shooting death of Ahmad Arbery. Ahmad Arbery was a man who was running through a neighborhood in South Georgia. Satilla Shores is the name of the neighborhood. As he's running through the neighborhood, he ends up getting followed by three men in two pickup trucks ends up getting shot and killed. And now those three men, uh, father and son, Greg and Travis McMichael, and their neighbor, William Roddy Bryant, have all been charged with his murder. There was a big pre-trial hearing that we covered on Court TV, and it came with fireworks. And the fireworks came from one of the attorneys, uh, Kevin Goff, who represents Roddy Bryant. Now, Roddy Bryant is alone in his pickup truck, and he is the one who recorded everything that happened. He he, he has his cell phone in his hand. He presses, presses record, and, it, and his As he's following Ahmaud Arbery down the road, he's recording what happens and he ends up recording the shooting death. Now, the other two, uh, the father and son are in the other truck. You've got um, Greg McMichael, the father on the back of the pickup truck. He's actually retired law enforcement. And then his son is the one who gets out of the uh, pickup truck and ends up shooting and killing Ahmaud Arbery. So that's the case. That's the story. You probably know it already, but major fireworks inside the courtroom. And to help us go through all of this is uh, the newest member of the Court TV family. He has extensive, extensive uh, history of reporting in the world of crime and justice. Uh, Matt Johnson is with us. Matt, thanks so much. Well, pleasure to be here. I mean, and what a case to be talking about with you, Vinny. Um, this um, this death of Ahmad Aubrey sparked a national outcry last year um, with the protests of racial injustice. This is one that everybody is watching right now. Absolutely. And, and the shooting death of Ahmad Aubrey happened just before the death of George Floyd. And, you know, George Floyd came and and and. Things were already bubbling because of this story, despite the fact that it's not a police shooting, right? The, 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 the only one who's connected to law enforcement is retired law enforcement. It's not a police shooting, but it started the bubbling of all of this. And then once uh, George Floyd and that video became public, uh, things went to another level. We, we know what happened. So in this case, I want to play a little bit of, of Kevin Goff. He's the attorney. And what I mean, he is a like at a central casting, Matt, for for a, a South Georgia attorney. This guy just oozes um, 
Um, he's local. He 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 kind of shoots from the hip. Uh, but once he gets inside a courtroom, uh, you know, he 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 doesn't hold back. And it was it was a little bit surprising to some folks what he was saying. But let's start here where he is actually accusing Ahmad Arbery during this hearing of an attempted carjacking of his client. Let's take a listen. Where Mr. Arbery's palm print appears on the motor vehicle is on the side of the vehicle. Where these fibers that the state is talking about appear from the side of the vehicle. And there is no evidence presented of any skid marks or other physical evidence that Mr. Bryan's vehicle at any point in time relevant to this case was moving sideways. So the contact that Mr. Arbery has with that vehicle, the palm print, if they can prove it, the, uh, the uh, cloth uh, fibers, are consistent not with Mr. Bryan assaulting Mr. Arbery. They're consistent with Mr. Arbery attempting to enter the vehicle. Whether that is to steal the vehicle, whether that is to uh, hurt Mr. Bryan, I forgot aggravated assault. But the fact that he is aggressively coming to the vehicle, uh, and a jury can reasonably infer attempting to get in the vehicle, whether he intends to take the vehicle, push Mr. Bryan out, whether he intends to beat him up or kidnap him or bury him in the woods, we don't know. But a jury can infer reasonably that Mr. Arbery was attempting to commit a felony. They don't have to conclude beyond a reasonable doubt which one it was. Any potential felony that is a reasonable inference. To me, Matt, this is shocking. And and for a couple of reasons, um, a carjacking. And, and I'm wondering how that could possibly be perceived if those arguments are made in front of a jury. Obviously, this is pre-trial, but if this is is what we have in store for this trial, they, I mean, that's like turning the thing upside down. Well, here's the situation where you have a man who's not armed and he's facing two men with guns. And you have video where he's trying to avoid them, some would speculate. But um, when they're making these, these claims in court for this, this pre-trial, um, the mother runs out. Arbery's mom runs out. She's in tears. And that's when the prosecutor, there were fireworks. She said that this is 100% offensive. The victim is being turned into a carjacker, a carjack suspect when he was trying to save his life. So this is indicative of what this trial is going to be like. Absolutely. And you know, you look at the situation. I mean, Ahmad Arbery is running through the neighborhood, and, and we hear this from the defendants themselves in the body cam footage and the statements that they've made to police as well, is that they then start to chase him and follow him. So how does it go from I am chasing you and following you and, and trying to trap you to you are trying to carjack me? To me, that's going to be a huge leap. Uh, inside the courtroom if it's if they attempt to make it because it's it's the words of the defendants themselves that we see on the body cam they're they're very uh upfront about what they were doing they saw Ahmad Arbery running through the neighborhood they thought that he was the same guy they saw on video that they thought was committing a bunch of burglaries in the neighborhood so they started chasing him who was unarmed and also didn't take anything he had nothing in his hands now whether or not he was trespassing whether or not he had was on probation which may be introduced is is aside the point, I think, is what prosecutors are going to say, because this is a man that at the end of the day was trying to be an electrician. Maybe that's why he was in the home in the first place. And he was just jogging down the street uh, in the video that we were showing on court TV that we have. Um, he doesn't seem to be speeding up or anything. He, he's going at a consistent run jog. 
And the, this is, to me, there's different ways you can look at it. And and I think what went wrong here, and when I say went wrong, you know, the, the death of Ahmaud Arbery never should have happened. I think in the minds of these defendants, they, they saw these videos, and these are the, the surveillance videos from a home that's under construction that Ahmaud Arbery, and on a couple of occasions, along with other people, uh, had entered the house. I mean, I've done it too. I don't know if you've ever done it, Matt. You're walking around a neighborhood, there's a house under construction. Let's take a look. Me and the missus have done it. We've taken a look. I, I You know, maybe it's against the law. I don't know. Uh, but they were convinced that he was continuing to return to the neighborhood day after day after day and committing all these crimes. I, 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 I'm trying to see why would, if someone's going to commit all these crimes, why would you keep going back? And then this time it's the middle of the day. Right. Well, his family is saying that he wanted to be an electrician. So the house is under construction. Maybe that's what interested him. You know, I want to see how they're putting in the electrical wires in in the two by fours. Um, but at the end of the day, was it really trespassing? Was there a sign? Did he take something? Is it criminal trespass? Um, was there wire copper taken, which some you know bad guys sometimes do at, at places, and then they sell it? But he had nothing in his hands. He had potential to be there out of interest. And did anyone ever tell him not to be there? Was he in fact trespassing? And at the end of the day, does it even matter? I mean, is that a reason to chase someone and then, you know, they die? I think that's the point that's gonna get to a lot of folks is that, you know, he he shouldn't be, this, this shouldn't have happened. So who instigates the whole thing? And I think that's going to be a big challenge uh, for the defense to, to because they're the ones instigating the confrontation. If you're going to allege self-defense, um, it's a tough argument if you are instigating the initial confrontation. So we'll see how that goes. But here's here's what they're going to say, because Kevin Goff continued in his argument. And the reason he's he's saying, listen, he could be committing a carjacking is that the defense needs to come up with a reason why they are confronting Ahmad Arbery. And it's because of Georgia's citizen arrest law. Let's take a listen. But it's not just the physical evidence. Now, my position is the physical evidence in this case alone, the physical evidence alone, not the testimony of any defendant, that evidence alone is going to justify a charge on carjacking, or a charge rather, that Mr. Arbery had committed a felony in the immediate presence of Gregory Travis McMichael and Rodney Bryant, authorizing them at that point to conduct a citizen's arrest for those crimes or attempted crimes independent of what happened at the English residence. And that's interesting. He's trying to get away from the Ahmad Arbery walking through that home that's under construction because none of the three men who were chasing him witnessed him do that. So he's trying to make the leap that, well, Roddy Bryan witnessed him trying to enter his car. His palm print is on the on the door of the car. He's trying to enter the car, uh, and a reasonable jury could say, hey, he's trying to carjack Roddy Bryan. Uh, they're looking for an end around here. They also have to explain why his prints and are on the, on the trucks, right? Because the prosecution is saying that they rammed him with the truck, which added to... Ahmad's fear in all of this, like it would anybody. But I think that that's how they're going to explain away. That's why his prints are on there, because he was actually trying to take our truck. He was trying to take our gun. We don't, you know, maybe that's what the defense is going to be here. Yeah. And, and we get back again to the words of the, the defendants themselves, because in their minds, and this is the part that's going to be 
I don't know how they handle it at trial. In their minds, they are doing nothing wrong. Even at the point that Ahmaud Arbery is dead in the street and police are talking to the McMichaels and to Roddy Bryan, there's no acknowledgement that this went south. It was like, well, we had to do it. We had no other choice. You know, we're, we're, you know, in our minds, we're allowed to make the citizens arrest. This guy's going around. He's burglarizing our neighborhood. And for Travis McMichael, the son, he left his uh, uh, vehicle unlocked. And when he left his vehicle unlocked, someone took the gun out of his car. So he knew that he was the victim of that. Right. And then someone was walking into this construction site and then he put two and two together and said, well, if someone went into my car and saw the gun, it had to be the guy who was walking through the construction site. So my understanding and the way I interpret his actions is that in his mind, it's the same person. It's the same person who keeps coming back to the neighborhood, walking through the construction site. That's the one who took my gun. I'm going to go get him. We need to we need to get him. And I think that that is why this case is so polarizing for a lot of people. And I think that that um, that point that you're making is actually going to be used for the prosecution as well, because they're going to say he's being profiled and they were going after him because they were profiling him. So I think that that is something that's going to be made in, into a point. And they still have yet to define the terms of carjacking versus hijacking and burglary versus criminal trespass, if it could even be that. Um, but that is yet to be defined terms as we head into trial and how people, potential jurors, will interpret those those terms. And I think where the defense is going to go with, with all of this is just try to narrow the scope of what happened that day. But let's take a listen to the DA, because the DA, after all these allegations of carjacking and everything else, was livid. Take a listen. Allow me to be crystal clear. The defendant, Mr. Bryan, hit Mr. Arbery with his truck. That's why his palm prints on it. That's why his t-shirt fibers are on it. Because he assaulted him with a 5,000 pound lethal weapon known as a pickup truck. And yes, maybe Mr. Arbery did try and push off that truck after being hit with it. I get that the defense wants to characterize that some other way, as if Mr. Arbery was committing a crime after being assaulted with a 5,000 pound pickup truck, a lethal weapon that could have killed him as Mr. Bryan pushed him off the road and into a ditch, which he, by the way, demonstrated to Agent Seacrest in his March 13th, 2020 video. It's offensive that this has been turned into the victim was trying to commit a carjacking. No, the state is not going to argue that he was entitled to commit a carjacking because Mr. Arbery was not committing a carjacking. He was not committing any felony. Mr. Arbery was trying to save his life from that man who was trying to hit him with a pickup truck. Now, there's no acknowledgement here um, from the defense or from any of the defendants at any point as to what Ahmad Arbery may have been thinking all this time. Like, you're, you're, let's say he's he's literally going for a run, okay? And and I, I and again, the, the, the facts will come out in trial and we'll figure it out, the jury will tell us. But if he's going for a run and you're running through a neighborhood and there's one pickup following you, then there's a second one trying to follow you. Then it stops in the middle of the road. There's a guy on the back of the pickup truck, and then they've got guns. I mean, what is going through your mind other than, for some reason, these men are hunting me down? And and that's the point that I don't think they ever could. They, they can't put themselves into into the, the mindset of, of, 
Ahmad Arbery and, and, and how he's interpreting what's happening here. I, I think about that all the time, especially when I look at the video. But then I also go back to the fundamentals here, because if you say you did something wrong in somebody's house or say you did try to carjack somebody, is that a reason for that person to die? And is that a reason that um, a killer should be acquitted of of a crime because you have situations where um, serial killers go after um, prostitutes, they're committing a crime, but if the serial killer commit, you know, committed a crime against someone that was committing a crime, does that mean they shouldn't pay the price for it? And it's the notion of, of the, the vigilanteism of it all. It's taking the law into your own hands. And then it comes back to the citizen's arrest. Is it a lawful citizen's arrest? Is it an unlawful citizen's arrest? Is it self-defense at the end? Or, or are they committing felony murder? This, this one can make many different turns. The legal arguments will be fascinating um, and the way the facts develop as well. Uh, but when we come back, I, I want, what I want to do um, is, is take a closer look at one of the three defendants. And, and that is Roddy Bryan, because He's the one of the three that does not have a gun. He's the one who's recording the whole thing. And during the course of my show on Court TV, I have a difficult time finding guests who see him any differently. But we'll take a closer look when we come back. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. Mr. Bryan is the one armed with a cell phone, not guns. Mr. Bryan didn't shoot anybody. So, uh, you know... I understand that there are people out there pursuing their own agendas uh, outside of this criminal case uh, for their own reasons. But again, when you confine and look at the actual evidence the jury is going to hear, it's pretty clear that Mr. Bryan is, an, is in a very different position, uh, we would submit, than the, than the McMichaels. Uh, and that's not to say that the McMichaels don't have a, a strong defense. We believe they do, and certainly our defense keys in many ways off of theirs. But if you put aside the hype and the spin and you actually sit down and look at the evidence, and the video is just one part of the evidence in this case, then you see that Mr. Bryan has no criminal responsibility in this shooting whatsoever. Again, that's Kevin Goff, the attorney for William Roddy Bryan. He's the third defendant in the Ahmaud Arbery case. He's the one who recorded the video. He doesn't have a gun, okay? In, in, the, in the beginning, people were talking about, oh, maybe he's got a gun. On the video, you hear a clicking. Uh, there's no evidence that he had a gun, no indication, no allegations that he had a gun. The clicking very well could have been um, his, his, seat, his seat buckle. But it, it's clear that he's recording the whole thing. And uh, Matt Johnson is still with us. Matt, you know, I, I look at Roddy Bryan, and I do see him differently. Now, I don't know if that, if that makes a difference for criminal responsibility, but in what happened that day? Well, I think that there's the whole big question about vigilanteism and what his intentions were. And I think that that is going to play into why he's sitting there with the two other men. But I do think that, you know, we have to look at him a little bit differently because, after all, he is the reason why this is actually going to trial, right? Because he shot the video. He drove dangerously 
shooting a cell phone, driving uh, you know, a heavy truck at the same time. There should be criminal charges against that. But um, <laughs> you know, he that video went viral, and that is the reason why there was eventually charges in this case. It was passed from DA to DA to DA because of uh the dad, Greg McMichael's past with law enforcement, but um, you know, that's the reason why we're here, right? It, it is. And and that's what Kevin Goss has been saying from the beginning. He says, my client shouldn't be a defendant. He should be the star witness in, in all of this. But that aside, and I understand why people see them all together as one, because you've got two trucks chasing someone, three men, two trucks. I get it all. But I see some some distinct differences. And there's some questions that I need answered at the trial. And the first one, I've tried to get Kevin Goff to answer this several times, but he always says, I can't speak for uh, Roddy Bryant. Uh, well, you're his attorney. You can speak for him. But I asked him, why? Why was he recording the video? To me, that unlocks everything. If we get the truth, and, and, and again, you know, we have to decide what the truth is, but why is he shooting that video? Why is he recording that video? And my initial approach to it is people who are committing crimes, for the most part, who have the intent to commit a crime, don't record themselves committing the crime. And then when police come, they don't tell police, I've got a recording of the crime I just committed. And that's what happened in this case, Matt. He records it. Nobody in the world knows that he has recorded it except for Roddy Bryan. As soon as police respond, one of the first things he tells them is, yeah, I've got the whole thing on video and, and, and gives the video to police at the scene. To me, and again, I don't know what the criminal responsibility is going to be. I don't know what the answer to the question is. But to me, there's a great argument that Kevin Goff could make that there's no consciousness of guilt for Roddy Bryant. Even if what he was doing was wrong, he has no consciousness of guilt, which to me says there was no intent to commit a crime, no acknowledgement in his mind that he thought he was committing a crime because he recorded it. And then the first thing he does when police respond is he gives it to them when they have no idea it even exists. And no acknowledgement that they committed any crime to be charged for. Like they're sitting there in court and they're like, why are we even here? That's a great point that you just made because he was just basically saying, here, look, you know, we were doing something in our eyes that we thought was helpful. And I'm recording this because we were doing something good. So, I mean, but yet at the end of the day, they're sitting out on a defense table. Looking at it 2020, right? Hindsight is like, does it look that good, Roddy? Now, the other part of the video is that the video was leaked by someone connected to the defense. I think it was one of the McMichaels leaked the video, believing that that would clear everything up for them. And that's the part that has always taken me aback for a second. And I'm like, even at the point that Ahmaud Arbery is dead, there's an investigation, all the controversy with the different DAs involved in the case. But before this becomes a national um, uh, and a viral hit, the, the video has to be released. It's leaked by someone connected to these defendants. It's not leaked by prosecutors. To me, that is unbelievable that they believe that video is great evidence that nothing illegal happened that day. Well, I also find it very interesting and maybe to the defense of Roddy himself, you know, he's still driving his car as we're watching the video of Ahmad jogging down the street trying to avoid, avoid the McMichaels who are already it, parked in the street 
and in a position of confrontation of what it could appear. You know, so Roddy is catching up to to them. So I find that interesting too. And again, they had like circled around and circled. I mean, they were chasing them and then they had to circle around because uh, Ahmad changes directions and everything. They're clearly trying to track him down. And then it comes to the other question for Roddy Bryan, which is he's not part of this initial chase. The initial chase is Greg McMichael sees Ahmad Arbery running through the neighborhood, right? He says he's hauling bleep uh, through the neighborhood. And then he goes, Travis, the guy, that guy from the videos, the guy from the videos, he's, he's running through the neighborhood, grab your gun. And they grab their guns and they get in a pickup and they try to chase him. And as they're chasing him through the neighborhood, Roddy Bryant's just out on his porch. And I guess he sees his neighbors who he recognizes. I don't think there's a close relationship there between the McMichaels and Roddy Bryant, but they kind of know each other as neighbors because it's a relatively small neighborhood. But he sees them chasing someone who's running. Now, he has no idea how this whole thing started, yet he decides to jump in and join the chase. And, and film the whole thing on his cell phone. <laughs> then, yeah. you know, say to the police, here, I did this. Here you go. Right, right. And, and let me play for everyone, Kevin Goff, explaining how they are interpreting the actions and the decision made by Roddy Bryan to join in this chase. I think it's pretty clear when you look at the video that Mr. Bryan is not armed and he's not in communication with Nick Michaels. He's simply doing what any patriotic American would have done under the same circumstances. And I think that video demonstrates that. And the prosecution can try and spin that and other people can try and spin it. But when you look at that video, that is not someone who's trying to do something wrong. That is someone who's trying to document what's going on. Uh, and frankly, without his efforts, uh, what happened that day would probably never be clear. Without Roddy Bryan, there would be no case. That's, that's, that's just a reality. Uh, and he is, for whatever the truth turns out to be, whatever justice turns out to be, Roddy Bryan is the reason that the Arbery family will have their day in court. Uh, and uh, we believe that when the jury sees that and really puts what he's done in perspective, that they're gonna agree pretty quickly uh, that Roddy Bryan committed no crime, which has been our position from day one. So I, I look at this this story and, and this case and how Roddy Bryan gets involved. And, and, and I think about it. If I'm sitting on my porch, OK, and I see one of my neighbors in their car chasing someone who's running away in the neighborhood. What would I do? What would I do? And, and in this case, you know, you, you add the other things that I have my your neighbors are one race and the person running away is another race. What would you do? What, what, and I think that's part of of what the jury may be thinking as they sit in that jury box when judging Roddy Bryan and his decisions that he made that day. And um, I've never had a situation like this in my neighborhood. Thank goodness. Um, if I saw someone chasing someone, I would probably call 911. I, I don't think I would chase, uh, being a journalist. If I had a camera, I might record something, but I don't think I'd get in my vehicle and, and try to block the person not knowing the backstory. But I'm thinking about this now, having all the knowledge of how things went really bad in this case, Matt. And, and I don't, I, and I wonder, this jury selection process and who ends up making this judgment is going to be so crucial 
in, in how they see the world and how they would respond to a situation like that. Because Kevin Goff is arguing that's what a patriotic American would do. Your neighbor's chasing someone that you don't know in the neighborhood. You're going to join in the chase and you're going to record it. Well, these are um, attorneys that are on the top of their game in their area and attorneys that really know the community. And they they said on your show they feel like they didn't want another venue because they felt that they had the upper hand in that community. So, I mean, I'm not sure. I'm not familiar with that community. But um, I didn't particularly care for that statement, in my opinion. Um, I think that I agree with you 100%. I, I think the thing, the right thing to have done would have been just simply call the police and maybe sit on your porch and shoot what you can from there. Yeah. Jo- taking that next level and joining the chase, not knowing, and then... And, and then the obvious optics of the whole situation is that you've got a bunch of white guys in pickup trucks, one of them standing on the flatbed, <laughs> you know, with a gun in his holster, and, and, and they're chasing an African-American guy through the neighborhood. I mean, that's, that's it is what it is. There's, there's no other way to look at it. That's exactly what it is. And the jury will see it. It's not just you're describing it because of the video. You will see it. And the, and with, with Greg McMichael on the back of that pickup truck with his, with his gun in one hand, his cell phone in the other, that you can't get that image out of your mind. And I think that is the biggest obstacle in this case because it's 2021 and I don't care where you are in, in, in this country in 2021, there's much more, a much greater acknowledgement that, hey, wait a minute. No, this, this, this just isn't right. This is this is wrong. And you can try to uh, slice and dice the facts of the case and everything else. But just that image itself is so wrong. Well, the video and how it will be interpreted and how it will be interpreted by the peers that are selected um, by the court. And it's just going to be fascinating. It's going to be fascinating to watch. It's one of the big ones, folks, right here on your front row seat to justice. What a lineup we have coming up this fall. And this is this is one of many headliners that are scheduled right now. Uh, big, big cases that have big, big implications. And, of course, Court TV will be covering it. Matt Johnson, great to have you uh, on the podcast. Even better to have you as a member of the Court TV team. Thank you so much, sir. Pleasure. And uh, hope to be back soon. All right. When we come back... I am going to break down how I think legally this case is going to play at trial, what the issues will be and and, and where the defense is going to put the focus and, and how it's all uh, going to not, not what the verdict's going to be, because I have no idea what the verdict's going to be. Learned that lesson a long time ago. But how I think the arguments will break down and how this case compares to the Derek Chauvin, George Floyd case. That's next. Renowned journalist Ashley Banfield takes you behind the scenes of the most compelling cases in history. This is the new chapter in true crime. Judgment with Ashley Banfield. All new episodes Sunday nights at 8 on Court TV. So the trial for the three men accused of murdering Ahmaud Arbery is really a self-defense case. I mean, they're going to argue that Ahmaud Arbery was attacking Travis McMichael and he was defending himself. That's going to be the defense. And, and it has to be because it's really their only it's their only chance to explain what happened that day. And 
Where the defense will go, I believe, and the way they will slice this up is to try to really narrow the scope of this story, of this interaction, to the initial physical confrontation between Ahmaud Arbery and Travis McMichael. And what exactly do I mean? Um, yes, they're, they're following him throughout the, the neighborhood, and they're going to talk about citizens' arrest, and they were pursuing him, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But when it gets down to the death of Ahmaud Arbery, and according to prosecutors, it's the first shot that is fired that is the fatal shot. We learned that in a pretrial hearing. Is they're going to focus on, it's, it's like less than two seconds of video that you don't see exactly what is happening. It's unreal. Like, Roddy Bryant is shooting this video of Ahmaud Arbery, but at the point that the first shot is fired, which, according to prosecutors, again, is the fatal shot, you don't see it. They are both in front of the McMichaels pickup, and it obscures your view of exactly what is happening. And that is exactly where the defense, I believe, is going to go. Because they already said in, the, in this same pretrial hearing that they're going to use the video. So I'm like, how are they going to use the video? Well, the only, the only way the video really works for them is to focus on that part. Because at that part, what happens is the McMichaels have stopped their vehicle and Roddy Bryan is behind Ahmaud Arbery, who's running away from Bryan, but is running towards the McMichaels because they're, they've stopped their vehicle. Greg McMichael is on the, is on the uh, back of the pickup with his gun and cell phone on with police. And Travis McMichael has gotten out of the vehicle and has the, the rifle with him or shotgun. And... As Ahmad Arbery approaches, he approaches from one side of the vehicle, then from the back, and then goes around the other side. And as he's going around, Travis McMichael is then moving towards the front of the vehicle. And as Ahmad Arbery rounds it, he doesn't run away from the vehicle. He rounds the front of the vehicle. And then, as I've shown on my show, you look at the shadows. You don't see them, but you see shadows underneath the, the, the flatbed. And you can see Ahmaud Arbery's shadow moving towards Travis McMichael's shadow. And you see Travis McMichael's shadow moving backwards. That's where I believe the defense is going to focus. They're going to say, listen, Travis McMichael was there with his weapon. He, he wasn't pointing the weapon at Ahmaud Arbery. And as he's standing there with his weapon, Ahmaud Arbery is approaching and going after McMichael and initiating the physical confrontation and goes for the gun. And as he goes for the gun, there's a struggle. The gun comes up. And at that point, the, the gun fires and Ahmaud Arbery is shot and killed. And it's self-defense, ladies and gentlemen, because it's Ahmaud Arbery. This is what the defense is going to be arguing, uh, I believe. It's Ahmaud Arbery who's initiating the physical confrontation. Yes, they were following him, and they're going to have all those arguments about that, but they're going to try to focus that jury on the two seconds you don't see. Now, if Travis McMichael is pointing his weapon at Ahmaud Arbery as he rounds um, that car, that itself is an assault, which is a felony. And then if someone dies during the course of a felony, that is felony murder. That is a, a, a win for prosecutors, an easy win. But you don't see the gun. You see shadow of the gun, but you can't tell if it's down or if it's pointed at Ahmad Arbery. And obviously, Travis McMichael is not going to say he was pointing the gun at him. He's going to say the gun was down, and then Ahmad Arbery came after him. That's where I believe their, their focus of this trial is going to be. Now... This case uh, is also much different than the Derek Chauvin, George Floyd case, 
right? There's, there's some of the same issues, obviously, for, for many members of, of our community. But the main the two main differences. One, these are not police officers, okay? They're not police officers. Don't confuse who they are. One is retired. He's as much a police officer as I am. He's not, okay? Travis McMichael is not, and Roddy Bryant obviously isn't, okay? So that's a big difference between uh, the Chauvin-Floyd case and the Ahmaud Arbery-McMichael-Roddy Bryant case. This one is much more like George Zimmerman and Trayvon Martin. George Zimmerman was not a cop. George Zimmerman, the big question was, who confronted who? And there was only one person who survived to tell the story, and it was George Zimmerman, and it was enough for a not guilty. The difference, though, between this case and the George Zimmerman-Trayvon Martin case is that there is a video, and prosecutors are going to use that video. But as I said, the video shows everything except the initial confrontation and the fatal shot, which are the most important parts. And, and that is, I believe, where the, the real conflict between the prosecution and defense as to exactly what is happening at that moment will be, and the jury will have to figure that out. And it's not going to be easy. Not going to be easy. It's a tough case. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough case for the defense, and it's not an easy case for prosecutors either because of that. But I think so much of this will come down to jury selection um, it's one of those big cases where people have opinions, especially people locally there, and that's where the trial is going to be held. So we'll see how it turns out. You, you need to find 12 who could be fair and impartial, who heard of it, may know about it, may have seen the video, but can put that aside and base their verdict solely on the evidence and the testimony during the course of the trial. And of course, we'll be covering it right here on your front row seat to justice. Make sure you check out our show notes. We've got lots of links to um, incredible uh, video and, and sound bites related to this case and, and all the other ones we cover at Court TV. You can watch me every night from 8 to 11. If you have a digital antenna, please rescan it so you can find Court TV. If you're having any trouble finding us, we are everywhere. Um, that's it, though, for this week. I'm Vinny Politan. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great week. And don't forget to hug the kids. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.